I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord this evening that I can just share something in short with you about worship. And I know the focus this evening is worship, and that's wonderful. Um, worship, is the, worship is the preoccupation of heaven. And the best thing that you can do in preparation for heaven is to worship. Amen. I want to say something about that, but maybe just before that, if I can just latch on to something that both Pastor Josh and Pastor Baba mentioned when they spoke about expectation. I just felt the Holy Spirit drop something in my spirit when they said that. And I just want to remind you of something that happened in Mark chapter 5 with the women with the issue of blood. The thing that I've noticed in church is that there are times that Jesus will just show up. God will just show up, truly inhabit the praises of his people. And people would walk out and some would say, wow, Jesus was there. And others would walk out totally unaffected. And that has everything to do with your expectation. You see, when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus' Jesus's garment, the hem of his garment, and the power flowed and restored her, Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, there are throngs of people here. You are, they are, everyone's touching you in some way. And then Jesus said, no, I felt power, leave me. And the difference between her and everyone else was expectation. So it really is about what you expect. If we want to receive something, even while I'm sharing with you, I know there's, here's a guy all the way from Africa coming to share something. Um, whether you're going to get something does not just depend on whether I have something good to give. But it's also whether you have an expectation that the Lord can use this vessel to bring something that will be of benefit to you. Amen. So let's have an expectation. Should I change mics? It seems from this side as though, is, is it fine? Okay. Um, so let me share just a few thoughts with you on, on worship. Um, so worship, of course, is, a, is nothing else than the proper response to the, re- the revelation of who Jesus is. That is just, just what worship is. Worship is the proper response to the revelation of who Jesus is. And the fact of the matter is that the kingdom of God is based on this absolute dependency that we have on supernatural revelation. We cannot grasp the things of the kingdom in the absence of a good God that has given us his wonderful Holy Spirit to give us insight into those things which otherwise would be impossible for us to understand. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 2 says that no one knows the heart of man except the spirit of man that is in him. In the same way, no one knows the heart of God except the Spirit of God. It is impossible for the natural man to receive the things of God. For they are foolishness to him. So as we talk and as I share a few thoughts about worship, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help you and would help me by giving us a revelation of what worship means and what it means if we say that worship is nothing else than a proper response to the revelation of who Jesus is. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll pray the same for us. 
He, pray, he says that since I heard of your faith, I do not cease to make mention of you in my prayers that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That we would have that revelation this, this, this evening and I pray, Father God, I pray, Lord God, that as we sit around your word, even if it's just for a short moment, I pray that by your wonderful grace and your powerful Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see what you see, to understand the things that in the absence of your Spirit for us would be unattainable. I pray, Father God, that in your wonderful grace, you would open our eyes to see who Jesus is. That our response would be worship. That is not just lip service, but in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would be glorified in this place. I pray, Father God, that as I minister, will you come and glorify Christ among us. And I trust you for this, Father. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, and please turn to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. If you don't have your Bible, then go and sit next to a Christian. <laughs> or just open your Bible app. Okay, you guys can just tell me if I should switch mics. Okay, should I switch? Okay, let me do that. All right. So Revelation chapter 5, speaking of just um, worship, and I'll just share a few thoughts, and I trust that the Lord will help us. So from verse 1, Revelation 5, And I saw in the right hand of him, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Let's just stop there for a moment, and then we'll... We'll look at the response to the revelation of Jesus. But what happens here is that John sees God sitting on his throne in his right hand. Now, the right hand of God represents power and authority. It is the power and the authority of God. He sees the scroll sealed with seven seals, which represents the redemptive plan of God. And he says that, 
the, the, the call is made to ask who is worthy to take the scroll, who is worthy to open the redemptive plan of God, who is worthy to come and do what is needed for us to be redeemed. Now, when he looks around, no one is found, and then suddenly John begins to weep bitterly. And the reason why he was weeping bitterly is because he was filled with utter despair. When he saw God sitting on the throne, knowing that God in power and righteousness had the right to deal with man according to his sin, and that there is no answer found anywhere, the only thing that he could do was to cry bitterly, for he was completely lost. If, 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 if God could not bring someone forward that would open the redemptive plan of God, then man would be utterly lost. And he weeps bitterly, and then um, the angel comes, or the elder comes, he puts his hand on him, and he says to him, do not weep, behold. Okay. You know that bad news makes you sad, and good news makes you glad. So what actually happens in this passage, in that small phrase, what the angel is actually saying is, I want to come and just quickly present the gospel to you. The bad news is that there is a holy God. You see, we sometimes believe that salvation starts with the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. It doesn't. Salvation doesn't start with the revelation that Christ is the Son of God. Salvation starts with the revelation that there is a holy God in front of whom we have no chance in the absence of the wonderful sacrifice of his perfect son. So John sees God, finds no answer. The elder comes, says, wait, do not be sad. There's reason to be glad. I have good news. And that good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So he comes and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God from the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, steps forward in heaven. The Lamb, as though it had been slain, steps forward. <laughs> Do not weep, John, because one has been found worthy to open the scroll, to bring the redemptive plan of God. Hebrews chapter 10. God hates a constant reminder of sin. God hated the fact that yearly, according to the law, sacrifices had to be made because God hates this reminder of sin. And then Hebrews chapter 10 says that the Son of God steps forward and says, Father, therefore, a body you have prepared for me, and I go to do your will. In Gethsemane, he stands as the Lamb of God and says, if, if, it, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me. Yet your will and not my will. And then Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, by one offering he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So the Lamb steps forward as though he had been slain. And then heaven responds to the revelation of Jesus, the Christ. And look at the response of heaven 
to the revelation of who Jesus is and what he had done. Verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the seven and the 24, sorry, elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and elders, and number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in, in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever. <laughs> that is the proper response to the revelation of who Jesus is. I've had people say this to me. You know, Rian, when I get to heaven, I have a list. And I have a list of questions that I'm going to ask the Lord. So I'm going to ask him, Lord, why did my church never have a pastor's appreciation day? Such as the... <laughs> I'm trying to sell that to, to Mike to take back. I hear that you have pastor's appreciation day. That is a wonderful idea, guys. Okay, just, just go big with it. So I will take, but on a serious note, people would go and say, you know, I don't understand why this happened or why that happened. And I'm, when I get before the throne of God, I'm going to ask the Lord, Lord, but why? And then my answer to that statement, not because I'm unsympathetic, some people have very real questions, but my answer in all honesty is, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because I tell you what. <clears throat> when you step into the presence of God, no question will have any relevance. All that you will do is that you will fall flat on your face. And every crown that you think you have ever deserved, you will cast down. And you will say, worthy is the Lamb of God to receive glory and honor and wisdom forever and ever. I think that we are totally clueless as to who Jesus truly is. We are clueless as to what it will be like to see God face to face. Go and ask Moses. Exodus 33 and 34. Lord, unless you go with us, we will not go. The Lord said, I will go with you. No, unless you go with us, we will, I will not go. And he nags with the Lord. He nags with him. He nags. He says, you must go with me. And God says, Moses, I'm going. He says, Lord, let me see your glory. Moses says, 
No one can, God says to him, no one can see my face and die, but Moses, because you are nagging me, I will, take, I will do this. I will take you, and I will place you in the cleft of a rock beside me. Do you know who that rock was? Jesus. I cry a lot, okay, when I, so just, I'm not, I don't apologize for it anymore. Okay, I'm holding back here, okay. So God takes him and puts Moses, he says, I will take you and I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I will put my hand over you. And then I will, my glory will, I will make, I will make sorry, my glory pass before you. And I will remove my hand so that you might see my back. Because no man can see my face and live. And God places Moses in a rock. The rock who is Jesus. <laughs> Such a beautiful prophet, prophetic act. And God passes before him. And as he passes, God takes his hand away. And Moses sees the back of God, drops to his face, and is consumed by the presence of God's back. What will happen when we see his face? What will happen when we see God truly for who he is? And that is, my, that is my simple encouragement to you guys this evening. That as we worship the Lord, I want to tell you what, I come from a, 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 what you would call a Pentecostal background. So I grew up with expressive worship. Then I went to a university that is very reformed in its thinking. And I, I remember um, just having to deal with persecution as, as such for the way that we worshipped God. <clears throat> and I had to really go and, f- and form and, and, and formulate my theology around whether worship should be expressive or not. And I want to say to you that, that there is no such thing as unexpressive or was it unexpressive or inexpressive? There's no such thing as, as a biblical concept of unexpressive worship. Worship always involves all of man. I would say to people, you know, just, just the privilege of raising my hands. You know, there's so many reasons that I raise my hands when I worship the Lord. One is just to salute Him, King of kings, Lord of lords. Other reason is just to, go, to, to, just to surrender, to say, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. So many reasons. So I say to guys, when you are one of those that maybe come from a background where you're not used to doing this, and take baby steps. Maybe start here. <laughs> start there. Do something. And then when no one's looking, you do this. Before they find you, before you know you're here. But you know where the real, where the real um, challenge comes is when you have to pass this level where your brain is. So I say to guys, you do this. La, 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 la. <gasps> Like you're, like you're jumping into a pool. You just get, hold your breath. Just put, put it up for a while and then you drop it again. And before you know it, you are used to just doing this. And just on your face, jumping up and down, singing, extolling just the praises and the glory of God. When David in his ephod, when he was worshiping the Lord and Micah looked at him and she 
ridiculed him, the result of her, of her ridiculing David for the fact that he was expressively showing his affection for God was the fact that she became barren. And when the church ridicules people for living and expressing their affection to the Lord, the church becomes barren. It's a fact of the matter. We have to be at a place where we cannot live in a place, we cannot live in a place where we are more concerned with the opinion of people than the opinion of the Lord. Amen. God's opinion matters. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this thought, and, and, then, and, and then we'll continue worshiping. And, and, and this is something that I want to, I really feel that um, I would love to pray for people about. After, after I, I end off, just one last thought. I remember a day when I was... Um, doing personal Bible study, and I read First Peter chapter 2. And in that moment, there's a specific word that dropped into my spirit that had such a profound effect in that season for me. And I want to minister it to you because maybe there might be some of us that sit here and in this moment, I'm actually speaking to the mature Christians. And I believe that some of us need prayer in this area. And I was sitting and I read 1 Peter chapter 2. And it speaks of the fact that God laid a cornerstone in Zion. It speaks of the body of Christ and that we are the living stones, that Christ is the cornerstone. And it says, quoting from, from Isaiah chapter 9, it says that when God laid this cornerstone, this cornerstone had two characteristics. Firstly, this cornerstone was elect. It was God's best, referring to Jesus, of course. But then there's this word that is so utterly significant. In Hebrews 9, the Lord says, Behold, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, elect and precious. This word, precious. The father takes time to make mention of the fact that his son is not only the chosen one, but he is also the precious one. And where we end up in trouble as the church is when we get to the place where Jesus is our theological cornerstone, but he is no longer precious to us. When we forget what he saved us from, if we become so theologically wise that we can do an exegesis on the, on the, on, on the, deity of Christ and we can explain it and we know it and we can sing it and he becomes our theological cornerstone but he is no longer precious to us because at the end of the day your life will be the result of what you value see what you believe theolog theologically makes you say amen in church. <laughs> but what you carry as dear to your, to, your, to your heart 
will affect the way you live when you walk out of here. And Jesus, if he is, thank you. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. If, 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 G, if, Jesus, if Jesus is our theological cornerstone, we will shout amen because we agree with the principle. But if Christ is your precious cornerstone, you will walk out of here. And beyond saying amen to the theology, you will actually live in a way that would please the one that is precious to you.